We started this series uh, last Sunday uh, called Faith, Hope, and Expectations. And uh, in part one last week, we talked about a particular kind of faith, and we called it circumstantial faith. How many of you were here last week and you remember that? Circumstantial faith. Maybe we could just say that together. Circumstantial faith. That's the only time I'm going to ask you to do that all morning. And we've all experienced this and participated in this kind of faith, and this is very important because circumstantial faith is our ability to see God in the circumstances of life, and, uh, or maybe, maybe I should say our inability at times to interpret our circumstances as God sees them. And for many of us, our tendency is to look for God in the circumstances of life, which isn't a bad thing. But unfortunately, that can become the foundation for our faith. And the problem with all of that is we aren't very good at this. So when we think God's doing all kinds of cool stuff in our life, and we can look around and we're like, yeah, that must be God. Yay, God. Then when things are bad, we're like, uh-oh, where's God? And then when things get really, really bad, maybe we're all the way over to, is there a God? And if there is, does he love me and does he care about me? So our faith can kind of ebb and flow based on our ability to see God in the circumstances of life. Like for many of us, maybe your first God moment was kind of uh, sparked because God did something in your circumstances. Like that was the catalyst for the beginning of your pursuit of a relationship with God. And that's fine. Like that's perfectly fine. But over the long haul, that's circumstantial faith. It's believing in God and defining God, relating to God based on God showing up or not showing up in your circumstances. Perhaps some of you have come back to church. Maybe that's part of your recent story. You've come back to church for the first time in a long time because when you were a kid, maybe, I don't know, maybe your family went through some stuff and your parents broke up or somebody got sick or somebody died or somebody broke up with you or something bad happened to you and you prayed and God didn't show up in the circumstances of your life and your faith kind of collapsed because your faith was propped up by your ability to see God and to interpret God in the circumstances of your life. That's circumstantial faith. And we all have an element of that, but it is very, very fragile. Circumstantial faith, regardless of your religious tradition, regardless of your church background, regardless of your worldview, circumstantial faith is fragile because life is random. Have you notice? Sometimes you see God, sometimes you don't. So you try to piece it together and you're always trying to figure out, you know, well, maybe that happened because this happened because mama always and daddy never and whatever, you know, and you were always trying to kind of figure this out. Where's the cause and effect? This kind of faith is fragile because, as I said last week, eventually the pleasures of life and the pressures of life will begin to erode that kind of faith. The pleasures of, pleasures of life always erode circumstantial faith because eventually, like admit it, let's be honest, our faith becomes kind of inconvenient at times, right? It's like, I believe in God. I believe he loves me. I believe I love him. Whoa, who is that, <laughs> right? Or, or God will be back in a bit because I got to go chase that. And believing in God and being a good person is a very convenient thing until, I don't know, he shows up or she shows up, right? Until that opportunity comes along. Sometimes faith is inconvenient and it gets in the way. And if the foundation of your faith is circumstantial, it's kind of like, see ya, gotta go. So circumstantial faith is, is fragile because eventually the pressures of life uh, erode it too because things happen in life that don't make sense. 
and uh, things happen that don't fit within our framework of how we view God. So last time in part one, uh, we spent the whole time talking about this idea of circumstantial faith and answering the question, what then is the foundation of our faith? And for Christians, the foundation of our faith is a person. It's not an answer to prayer. It's not some experience when we were at camp. It's not some event. The foundation of our faith is the person of Jesus Christ. God sent him into the world and he came to this earth and he walked and lived among us as one of us, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death on the cross, rose from the dead, was seen by hundreds of people who said, I saw it, I saw the risen Jesus, I saw this thing that happened and they gave their lives for what they saw and experienced, which means if God never answered another prayer, if God never shows up in your circumstances, if God doesn't do the one thing for you that you want him to do or he hasn't done anything for you lately, Like if he's quiet from now on, you can still wake up every single day with extraordinary confidence in God because of something he's done in history, because Jesus came into this world and died for our sins, which was God's way of saying, I love you and you are important to me, you matter to me. And we can get up every single day and rest our faith and our confidence in God because of that. We don't have to live our lives with our faith propped up on our ability to see God in our circumstances. So that was kind of part one of faith, hope, and expectations. Today we're turning a corner a little bit, and I want to try to give you a definition for faith. If you brought your Bible, we're back in the same book of the Bible where we started last week in the book of Hebrews, which is near the back of of your Bible, uh, late in in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11 today. You've probably heard this passage taught on many, many times, but I wonder how often we've heard it taught correctly. And that's not to say I've got some kind of corner on on truth here, on on insight, but I think a lot of preachers and authors and social media meme creators come to this passage, and, and here's what happens. There is something in all of us that wants to shrink God down into something that I can carry around in my hand. So I can be like, here's my God. He's with me whenever I need him. But for now, I'm going out with the guys, okay? So God, you just kind of stay here. I'll put you on the shelf. Or if I need you, I'll come back to you later. But for now, you can just kind of stay there. So you keep doing the thing and do some stupid stuff and you make some poor decisions and you get into some crazy, unhealthy relationship stuff or you keep spending money that you don't have or whatever the thing is. And the bottom falls out of that and you run back and you're like, oh, dear God, here's what's going on. I really could use your help now, my little God that I put in my pocket. So every religion wants to have a manageable God. Like that's our default. That's why they're idols. Because we want to have a God that we can set off to the side or maybe on a shelf or maybe in our back pocket and come back to when I need him. We all tend to want to shrink God down. So when we come to this passage, there's this thing in us that wants God to be manageable. This passage makes God (laughs) completely unmanageable because this passage is actually about who God is. So when we come to it, it's kind of threatening, and I've heard people just butcher this passage in order to make faith something that faith isn't. So let's talk about what faith isn't. Faith is not a power or a force, okay? Faith isn't, if I believe, I'll receive. If I believe enough, I'll get what I think I need. Sometimes faith is presented this way, you know, like, like here's me, here's God, there's faith, somehow I'm going to tap into faith, and faith is going to like pull a rope around God's neck, and faith is going to get God to do things that God would never have done except that I had such great faith, okay? I think that's bogus. I don't think that's a biblical concept. Faith is not a power that we tap into. Faith isn't something you harness. Faith isn't something you dip into or meditate yourself into. Biblical faith isn't any of those things. The other thing that faith is not is faith is not a formula. Faith isn't something you figure out, and once you got it figured out, then God does things for you. 
You know, it's like, okay, I think I got it figured out. Prayer, 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 go to church. Nope, that's not the combination. Prayer, 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 fast. Nope, that's not even it. Prayer, prayer, fast, prayer, prayer, read my Bible, prayer, church, and maybe more prayer. Faith isn't a formula. It's not like if you do enough and God will do some stuff for you. And the more you do, the more God does. Not biblical faith. Faith is not the same as confidence. Because we tend to use the word faith and believe in a way that becomes synonymous with the word confidence. For example, I might say, like, this is the year. Football season is, is upon us, and I believe my, this is my year's team. My team, or my team's year. My, my team is going to win. I have faith in my team, and those of you who know who my team is are laughing, and I don't appreciate that. But um, I, I have, this is, this is my team's year. They're, they're going to win. I have faith in my team. It's the same as saying, like, I have confidence in my team. And we use those words interchangeably. But biblical faith is not simply confidence. Like, I believe I'm going to get the job. I believe he's going to ask me out. I believe we're going to win. I believe. I have faith. I just know it. What that is is a combination of confidence and hope. Hope says, I hope this works out based on the past. I believe it's going to work out. I don't know for sure, but I hope it does, and I believe it will. Not the same as biblical faith. We tend to use all these concepts interchangeably, and after a while when you start reading your Bible and you see the words faith and believe, and you think, I know what that means. It's like, I hope this is true. I hope it works out. I believe we're going to win. These are all okay things to say, but don't confuse that with biblical faith. Last thing I want to say about that is that biblical faith is really not complicated. In fact, it's so simple that I'm not saying it's easy, but it's simple that when I give you the definition, some of you are going to be disappointed. Uh, My guess is the longer you've been in church and the more you've been around the church and the less maybe you're going to be like, oh, that's a great definition. Because in a few minutes, we're going to, as we talk about this, some of you are probably going to be sitting there going, yeah, but, yeah, but what about, and what about that verse like in Ezekiel? And what about that stuff in Revelation? And, and what about, the, and what about, and what about? So all I'm asking you to do, I understand that I do the same thing. All I'm asking you to do is that we would start to have, like when you start to have those imaginary conversations with me over the next few minutes, I would ask you to just kind of, when we're finished, just take the, or you're drafting an email as you're sitting there, um, just take the definition I'm about to give you and run it back through your life experience, and I think you'll find this definition explains a lot in your life. I think the other thing this definition can do is it'll help you understand scriptures that are otherwise difficult to understand. Have you ever encountered scriptures that are difficult to understand, any of you? I'm just going to wait. Just waiting to see if anybody's actually read their Bible at all. Okay, so you open the Bible, I guarantee you're going to encounter some stuff that's difficult to understand. So uh, let's look at it, and then I'll say a couple more things about it. Because what I want to do here is I want to lead us through this kind of journey of discovery, and I want to ask some questions that I don't want you to answer out loud, but I want you to think about them. These are, these are just to kind of get us to think. So as we go through these verses, maybe we can discover together what real biblical faith is, because it's simple, but we complicate it, and, uh, and I think we complicate it because we want God to be manageable. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. So there's a difference between faith and hope, first of all. Other translations of the New Living says that faith is the reality of what we hope for. 
So like, faith is, is hope taken one step further. Like, I hope this is going to work out. But faith is being absolutely sure that something's going to work out, but, but it's also being, like, it's being sure of what we hope for. And it sounds like cyclical thinking, but here's our first clue. And he says this in verse 1. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. And by see, he doesn't mean physically see. What he's talking about, what the writer's talking about here is being certain that something that hasn't happened will happen. Being certain that something that hasn't happened will happen. Faith is being sure of what at some point you've only hoped for. See the difference? Verse 2, the writer gives us some illustrations. It says, through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. In other words, if you want to understand like how the Old Testament and the New Testament define faith, this is it. Like, so when you read the story of Abraham and you read the story of Joseph and you read the story of Moses and you read the story of David and you read the, about, you know, the apostles and Peter and Paul and you read about these people uh, of great faith, like that's what he's talking about right here. Somehow, something happened to them and in them that allowed them to not only be hopeful but to live with confidence. Their hope became faith. This passage of scripture, I think, gives us the definition of the proper view of faith that we should then like superimpose on all the rest of scripture. This is why this is important. Verse three, by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, though what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. So another question, if you're a Christian and you believe the book of Genesis is true, so you believe that God made the world out of nothing, that at one time there was nothing, and then there was something, and God turned nothing into something. Like, if you believe that, like most of us, some of us, many of us do, and I'm not talking about the specifics, you know, well, was it seven literal 24-hour days, or was it seven eras of many, many, maybe millions of years, or was it gradual, or was it like a big bang, so to speak? I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the, the specifics. I'm just saying, in general, you believe that there's a creator and there's a creation, that God in three persons is the agent of creation. So if you believe that, don't answer out loud, but what makes you confident of that? Like, how do you get to the place where you believe that God created the universe? The writer of Hebrews says you believe it by faith. He goes on. We're going to skip down to verse 7. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. Why did Noah build the ark? Did the story go like this? Noah's looking around. He says to himself, man, this world is getting so evil. I think God should do something about that. I think he should like kill everybody and start over. Let's get the family together. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. We're looking around today and everybody around us kind of sucks. So this whole world is going to hell in a handbasket. I don't recognize this country anymore. So we come to you today and we humbly ask that you would just kill everybody. Maybe you could send some rain, never heard, never seen it, heard about it, but it's a concept, I don't know, maybe rain for like 40 days, I don't know what could go wrong, and show, and just to show you how much faith I have that you're going to do that, we're going to build a boat, let's get started boys, and let's build this mammoth boat, and, uh, and not big enough for mammoths, but a mammoth boat, and we're going we're gonna to build it big, sorry, I snuck in there, we're going to build it big enough uh, for all the animals. So God, we're just here showing you humbly, showing you that we have faith in you, and we are just humbly lovingly asking you to wipe out all these people because they're evil and we're the only righteous ones left and we're going to build an ark for our family and, and all the animals and, and God's like, well, you know, 
huh, I had never really thought of that, and I wasn't really leaning in that direction, but look at their faith. I mean, look, he's already started building this thing called a boat, and he wants me to do some rain, whatever that is, and I don't even guess I have a choice now. And so, like, Noah, when you're ready, I'll send the rain. That's ridiculous. It was fun to write, but it's ridiculous. <laughs> Here's a question that, um, that I do want you to answer out loud. Just a one-word answer. Who initiated the whole deal with Noah and the ark and the flood? God did. That wasn't Noah's idea. So look at the verses, though. It says, Noah obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. And he did that by faith. By faith, I believe this is your idea, God. I believe it's going to rain, whatever that is. Verse 8, another illustration. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land. Uh, that God would give him as in his, his inheritance, and he went without knowing where he was going. It's a flashback to a story from the Old Testament in Genesis 12, where God comes to a guy named Abram, and he says, Abram, I want you to pack up everything you have, and Abram had a lot of stuff. I want you to walk in that direction and just kind of keep walking, and I'll tell you when to stop. I just want you to leave this place. I want you to take, I want to take you to somewhere new, and I'm not telling you why, and I'm not telling you where. It's just time to go. And the Bible says, by faith, Abraham packed up everything he had, and he started going. It was an act of faith. Whose idea was that? Was it Abraham's or God's? It was God's idea. God initiated it, and then Abraham responded by faith. Verse 13, this is a really interesting one for me. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. That is, all these people who were continuing to act as if God was going to do what God said he was going to do, even though many of them never got to see him do everything they believed he would do. They did not receive what was, what was the next word? They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. At the end of this passage in Hebrews the writer says these people continue to act by faith and live by faith even though they had not yet received the promise. Now, here's what I want you to understand. The bridge between hope and faith is the promise of God. So here's what I believe Scripture shows us this, that the bridge between what we hope for and what we can trust God for is the promise of God. Like Noah built an ark because God made a promise. It is going to rain, and Noah is like, no idea what that is, but let's get busy, boys. The bridge between hope and faith for Abraham was God said, I want you to go somewhere and I'm going to show you. Once you get going, I'll show you where to go. And Abraham's like, I believe your promise. So guys, let's pack this thing up. And when I say this, I want us to be very careful about interpreting and claiming promises of God. All right? I'm just going to slow down a little bit because I'm talking fast. Promises of God in Scripture given to specific people for a specific time for a specific purpose, are not necessarily to everyone for all of time. All right? Promises of God in the Scripture given to specific people for a specific time for a specific purpose are not necessarily given to everyone for all time for all purposes. In other words, be very, very careful not to claim as yours a promise made to someone else. So let's get, let's get to our definition. I wish this would be the grid through which we could consistently view Scripture and our circumstances and our experiences. So here it is. Faith is confidence that God is who He says He is and that He will do everything He's promised to do. That's my definition. 
And you're like, oh, yeah, you're right. That was a letdown. Faith is confidence that God is who He says He is and that He will do everything He's promised to do. That's all faith is. Faith is confidence that God is uh, who He says He is and that He will do what He's promised to do. That's biblical faith. That's what Noah acted on. It's like, I believe who you say you are. And if you say it's going to rain, I believe you can make it rain and you want us to build a boat and we're going to go on a cruise and, and let's go. Let's get started. I trust you. That's an act of faith. Abraham says, I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe you're going to show me where to go. I believe you have a purpose for this that I don't even see yet, but I believe you'll show me where to go because you are who you say you are. And so they went, which means this for us, that as Christians, it means we can come to God and ask for anything we want, and we can believe that he can answer our prayers, and we can hope that he will answer our prayers. Listen. But we should never expect God to do something He hasn't specifically promised to do. What He's done in the past isn't a promise that He will do it for you or anyone else in the future. So let's just be really careful and honest about that. Faith is simply confidence that God will do what He's promised to do and that He can do it. He will do what you've asked Him to do. Listen, if He chooses to do so. Faith is simply confidence that God loves you based on what you read in Scripture and what you know about His Son, Jesus. And faith is a confidence that if God chooses to, He can say yes. But faith is also, listen, the confidence that if God chooses to say no, He's still God. That's different, isn't it? Here's a a great illustration found in the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bible or your Bible app and you want to look down there to uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 12. It says, in one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. So not like he was afflicted with it, not, I've got something breaking out on my ankle here, it looks suspicious. He was covered with leprosy. That means game over, no hope, no family, no kids, no friends, no job, poverty, pain, agony, and then you die. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging You know what begging implies? It implies that you have something I need. Begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Not, I know you will. Oh, I know you will. I just know you will. I know you will because I've asked for it. And I know you will. And I have faith and I believe it. And I I know you will. Like Jesus, I have to now because I asked for it because I have faith, right? I'm begging you. Jesus, because I have absolute confidence that if you're willing, you can make me clean. Like that's what he's actually saying. Like I'm... If you, want, if you will, I have confidence that you can, if you choose. Like, you can make a difference in my circumstances. I don't know if you're willing or not. I know you can, but I don't know if you will. And I'm not presumptuous enough to think that since I asked you, then you have to. That since I believe that, now you have no choice. I believe you can, and I hope you will. Verse 13, says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing. <laughs> it's all the faith that I'm looking for. Like you recognize who I am. You recognize I have the ability. You come to me humbly and you ask. You know, that's all the faith I'm looking for in this situation. You weren't trying to talk me into it because, you know, you did this and you did that and you got the formula right and now you got faith. Like you're simply on your face in recognition that you're in need and I have what you need. That you're in need and you're totally dependent on me. That you're in need and I could turn and walk away and I'm still who you think I am, even if I say no. 
I love that. And Jesus says, I'm willing, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. You know what that's a picture of? It's a picture of you and me. It's a picture of our relationship with God that every single day of our lives we can wake up and say, even if you don't do another thing for me, you are still God. Even if you don't do another thing for me, Jesus is still my Savior. If I don't see you in the circumstances of my life, that doesn't change anything. My eternity is secure. I can believe and worship with confidence because my faith doesn't hinge on my ability to see you in the circumstances of my life. And the great news is, God, I can bring everything to you. I can fall on my face in humility and I can say, God, I beg of you. Like, I'm begging you right now. I so badly need a job. I so badly need healing. I so badly need a friend. I so badly need freed of this controlling habit. I so badly need to be freed of this sin or my guilt. I so badly need this. And if you are willing, I have faith that you can. If you are willing. That's all he's asking for. And sometimes... God is willing in the moment. Sometimes God is willing later. And sometimes God's not willing at all because of something He knows that we don't know. Sometimes He's not willing at all for reasons that we may never understand until we see Him face to face. But He's still God. And we aren't. He's still God and you are still His beloved child. You're his beloved child, not because he answered your prayer. You're his beloved child because he sent his son to be your forever savior. And that's why we continue to come with confidence when he says, yes, I'm willing. And when he says, wait, and when he doesn't say anything at all. And when not only do things not get better, they actually get worse. That's why when you, you find people who have this extraordinary faith and it's like their lives are like, their circumstances are like hell sideways. You know what I mean? And they just continue to believe in God. And you're like, what's up with you? How is this possible? They're like the leper who's coming every day. Like, God, if you're willing, you know, and so far God isn't willing, but he's still God. Jesus is still my savior. Like, why wouldn't I worship with my whole being? Like, why wouldn't I sing at the top of my lungs? Why wouldn't I continue to follow him and honor him with my life? Because the scripture tells us that all these people who follow God with a promise that some of them died before they saw the promise. Faith isn't my ability to see God in the circumstances of my life. Faith is my confidence in who God is, who He says He is, and that He will do what He says He will do. So here's the great news. The same God, you know what He said to you and me? It's like, look, 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 look. Come here. Look, I'm God. But when you come to me, I want you to address me as Father because I love you. See, we all want to shrink him down because we want to be able to put him in a back pocket and want him to be manageable. And, and, and that's, you know, whatever. Until rock bottom, until you hit rock bottom, right? Until the wheels fall off. And, and you know what kind of God you want? You don't want a God that's manageable. You don't want a God that you put on a shelf and you don't want a God that fits in your pocket. You want a big old honk and created the universe God. Like you want the biggest, most powerful God imaginable, Right? Here's the good news. That's who he is. Oh, and he doesn't do our bidding. He's God. But he says this. this is, I hope you get this. He's saying to us, I've leaned in your direction. 
So I want you to address me as, heavenly, as your heavenly father. And that might be hard for you. Because like, maybe this is not pleasant imagery for you. Because uh, maybe your father was a deadbeat loser. I don't know. Maybe your father hurt you. And this is kind of not a great analogy for you. Uh, but it's still the best imagery we have. He says, I want you to call me father. And I want you to come to me. Here's why. Come to me with all your stuff. Because like, you believe I can do something about it. So bring it with you. Bring it to me. I, I bring it. That's all the faith I'm looking for. I just want you to say, Father, God, I believe you can. If you're willing. I think God says to us, you know what? Sometimes I'm going to be so willing. Other days, not willing so much. Not right now, maybe later. I will be later. Sometimes I'm not going to be willing at all. Sometimes I'm going to explain it and make it, my purposes known to you. Other times I'm not. But you can get up off your knees and love me. You can get up off your knees and know that I love you. Because now we're beyond circumstantial faith. You're trusting in the God who created the universe, who sent his son into the world, who died for you, who loves you with all of his heart, who has your best interest in mind when you see it and when you don't. Faith is confidence that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he's promised to do. So what can you ask God for anyway? Well, you can ask God for anything. And he's able, like he has the ability to do anything he wants to do if he's willing And if he isn't willing, listen, that isn't necessarily a reflection of your lack of faith. It isn't always for us to figure out. Faith is confidence that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he's promised to do, which leads to the question, what exactly then has God promised to do? Like, what has God promised to do for you? What can you expect every single time? Like, if he hasn't promised to make us rich, which it appears that he hasn't, and hasn't promised, unless you compare yourself with most of the world, but, and he hasn't promised to heal every illness, and he hasn't, and he hasn't promised to keep bad things from happening. If he hasn't promised all those things, like even though we ask for them, what has God promised? There's a verse in the Bible that very few people print out and frame and put over their kitchen sink or on a bumper sticker, uh, but, um, but I, you have those people in your life, I'm like, I don't know if I really believe the Bible, give them this one, they'll believe this. Jesus said this in John 16, he says, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Oh, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, you followed through on that one. Good job on that one. I can believe that. And he's saying this to his closest followers. It's like, okay, Jesus, we're following you. We're trusting you. Well, that's great. But heads up, in this world, you're going to have trouble because I'm not promising a lifetime without trouble. So let, let me just say this. Anytime uh, a preacher or an author or a philosopher or a seminar speaker or a guru or somebody on social media says, if you do this, A, B, and C, then God will do this, X, Y, and Z, and it'll all be good. Uh, just, just back away, because I, like, I don't think so. That's not what Jesus taught. But he did make an incredible promise, God has, and I love these verses because these are verses that are relevant to our lives every day. So let's go back a few pages in Hebrews, back to chapter four, where we were last Sunday. And here's what it says. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, remember, this is the foundation of our faith. We talked about this last week, Jesus. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. Now, I don't know what you picture when you come to God when you pray. Like, I don't know how you picture God the Father and Jesus, and, but here's what the writer of Hebrews says. When you picture Jesus, we're not talking about someone in heaven going, what? Like, what's he talking about? I don't, I don't get it. What, what's this prayer all about? I don't get it. I don't know what she means. What, what does she need from me? 
we're talking about a Savior who says, I know. Like, I know exactly what you mean. I know what you're going through. I know what it's like. I've experienced it firsthand. I know how that feels. Listen to the rest of this. It says, for he faced all the same testings we do. And let me tell you why this is important. The scripture teaches that Jesus has felt what you feel and he's faced what you face. He knows what it's like to spend a night dreading the events of the following day. Have you ever had a night like that? Where you've tossed and turned because you're dreading the events of the following day. Jesus experienced the betrayal of his closest friends. Some of you know what that's like. You married him. You married her because you were best friends. And for the, you know, first few years you were best friends and You know what it's like to have your heart ripped out when you find out that somebody you trusted and somebody you loved and somebody you dedicated your life to, they betrayed you. Jesus has been there. He experienced intense temptation. We all know what that's like. And we try and we try and we try harder and we pray and we beg and we thank God, are you listening? And your heavenly father says, I know, like because my son faced the most intense temptation imaginable. He's like, you don't even have to explain that part. I get it. I think this could change our inclination to try to like talk God into stuff if as if we like need to explain to God what's going on if we really locked into this and understood this so here's how the verse ends says yet he did not sin so verse 16 okay so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God so not in formality formality is the enemy of intimacy not in tradition or ritual there we will receive here it is, ready? Like when we come to God, you're going to receive something every single time. When you come to God honestly, when you come to God with all the emotion, all the passion, all the hope, all the hurt, however you come, if you make it the habit of your life to come to God boldly or with confidence, knowing that he's not a God that is foreign and far removed from our experience, but a God who allowed his son to experience all of life just like you have, he says, if you'll just come boldly without all the formality that religious systems tend to add on, if you'll come boldly with confidence, every single time you will receive something from God. He says, we will receive his mercy. Mercy is that God's going to take your issue seriously. Not because it's a serious issue, but because it's your issue. Mercy is that God leans in our direction. And says, I know, like I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know how that feels. And I'm telling you, the more mature that you grow as a follower of Jesus, the more the fact that God knows just becomes enough. Sometimes mercy is tangible. Sometimes it's God, I just don't think I can take this anymore. And then you get a text and someone says, hey, what you doing? Let's go get a coffee. And you're like, Wow. Sometimes mercy is just an internal peace that comes from God. Nothing about your external situation changes, but you sense that somehow you've changed. That's mercy. Mercy is Jesus showing up at the tomb of Lazarus, and he already knows what he's going to do, and he already knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he already knows he's going to be the star of the show, and he already knows that everything's going to work out. But he walks up to the tomb, and he weeps. And everybody watching him is like, look how he loved Lazarus. Like, so why did he pause and weep? I think it's a microcosm of the message that echoes all through history that your Savior understands. And he's not too big and busy to feel what you feel. That's mercy. It says there, at the throne of our gracious God, we'll receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us 
when we need it most. Grace to help when we need it most. Grace, in this context, is a strength and energy to endure. You're like, oh, that's not what I was asking for. (laughs) It's what the word means in this context. The strength and energy to endure. And you know what? God, it's like God saying to us, I have a promise to deliver you from your circumstances, but I have promised to be with you through your circumstances. And some of you could grab a microphone and tell your story of how you begged and how you leaned hard into God and nothing changed. But looking back, you realize God gave you the strength. He gave you the energy, gave you the perspective to just press through. And some of you would say, like, as bad as I hated those circumstances that I had to do it over again, I'm not sure I would opt for easier circumstances because what I learned about the grace of God is a lesson I'll never ever forget and it's changed me. Oh, sometimes God's going to take the pressure off. Sometimes he's going to intervene in your circumstances. But his promise is that every single time when we come to him in confidence that he will give us the grace to endure. And he says, if you'll lean into me, I promise every single time mercy and grace in your time of need. Mercy and grace that helps you in your time of need. Sometimes I'll choose to deliver you from, but every time I'll be with you through. If you'll come to me, not give up on me because you couldn't find me in your circumstances. So I'll be honest. This isn't a very emotionally satisfying answer. The emotionally satisfying answer is if you do A, B, and C, God has promised he will do X, Y, and Z every time. Hallelujah. Can I get a witness? Like that's what we want. Like if you do this, then God will give you that. And that's cool. We could, we could just crank up some music and work ourselves into a fanatic frenzy and then you're going to go out into the real world and go, that didn't work. Oh, but you didn't have enough faith. That's why you got to have more faith and you got to have more faith, more faith, more faith. Read the New Testament. Read early church history. The guys with the most extraordinary faith died for it. I don't even want that much faith, honestly. <laughs> That's not what I'm asking for. I don't know about you. But this is what we want, honestly. This is what we often want. What we want is like a touch of intervention. Like it's a spray of some kind. Like, Heavenly Father, I pray that he would break up with her so that he would pay attention to me. Right? I just want you to work right there. It's like a spiritual WD-40. I just thought of that. Yeah. God, at work, my boss, you know, they're thinking of moving me out of, moving him out of my department anyway, but so... I don't know, if you can just do something with that, I don't know, maybe step out in front of a bus or whatever it takes, to my boss, God, just my little bit, little bit of intervention. Not, not a lot, just asking for something here, that'd be great. That's what we want, little intervention here and there. You know what we rarely pray, pray? We rarely come to God and pray, God, I am such a problem. The problem is me. Deliver my husband from me. I don't Deliver my kids from me. Like, I don't really want justice coming my way. I want justice going your way, right? I want grace and mercy coming my way. And it's cool that every once in a while, God just decides to intervene. I don't know how that works. Every once in a while, he allows us to dodge some of the most serious consequences of our own sin. Every once in a while, there's a miraculous healing. And we're like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But we realize God doesn't do those things because we have great faith. 
He does those things because he's a merciful, loving, heavenly father. And we can't expect that every time. So we'll just celebrate it when it happens. And when we don't get our way, we still trust him. Because the foundation of our faith isn't this. The foundation of our faith isn't the stuff we can see and make sense of. The foundation of our faith is the person of Jesus. So what can you ask God for? You can ask Him for anything, and you can hope. But what can you trust God for? You can trust Him for His presence and His mercy and His grace, and you can believe that. Sometimes it gives us what we hope for, but every time he gives us what he's promised. Thanks for your attention today. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together around your word. Thank you for uh, speaking into our lives uh, through it, through the words on the page and through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for that. Thank you for the truth that you are a God who came to be with us to live and do life with us, to be one of us, who understands um, what we experience, what it is, what this human experience, what it feels like, what it looks like. Thank you that we have a high priest who understands. And we thank you for this promise that as we come to you in boldness and confidence, that every time we will find mercy, we'll find you leaning in our direction, and we'll find grace, strength, to endure. We lean that way today, confident and thankful that that's the kind of God that you are. And we thank you in Jesus' name.